0: Hi, welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Um, This is going to be a discussion about Alma chapter 22. So remember that Ammon has been preaching uh, among the Lamanites. He's converted Lamoni and his people are now beginning to join the church. And so now we're going to have more of Aaron's teachings uh, to Lamoni's father. Uh, But first... Verse 1, Now as Ammon was thus teaching the people of Lamoni continually, we will return to the account of Aaron and his brethren. For after he departed from the land of Madoni, he was led by the Spirit to the land of Nephi, even to the house of the king, which was over the land, save it were the land of Ishmael, and he was the father of Lamoni. The Lord has a plan, a scheme, a system for the presentation of the gospel and the salvation of his sons and daughters. Those who seek to be in tune with the infinite have the glorious privilege of participating in that plan, of being a vital part of the blessing of mankind. One day we shall see how very much the Lord was involved in the affairs of the people on this earth, how masterfully and marvelously he has orchestrated the doings and feelings of his children in order to bring about the greatest blessing to the greatest number. That was by Millet McConkie. I believe that God puts us in places so that we can have the maximum opportunity to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, And it came to pass that he went in unto him into the king's palace with his brethren, and bowed himself before the king, and said unto him, Behold, O king, we are the brethren of Ammon, whom thou hast delivered out of prison. And now, O king, if thou wilt spare our lives, we will be thy servants. And the king said unto them, Arise, for I will grant unto you your lives. And I will not suffer that ye shall be my servants, but I will insist that ye shall administer unto me, for I have been been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and the greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon, and I desire to know the cause why he has not come up out of Madoni with thee. And Aaron said unto the king, Behold, the spirit of the Lord has called him another way. He has gone to the land of Ishmael to teach the people of Lamoni. Now the king said unto them, What is this that ye have said concerning the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, this is the thing which doth trouble me. And also, what is this that Ammon said, If ye will repent, ye shall be saved. And if ye will not repent, ye shall be cast off at the last day. And Aaron answered him and said unto him, Believest thou that there is a God? And the king said, I know that the Amalekites say that there is a God. And I have granted unto them that they should build sanctuaries, that they may assemble themselves together to worship him. And if thou say that and if thou and if now thou sayest there is a God, behold I will believe. And now when Aaron heard this his heart began to rejoice, and he said, Behold, assuredly as thou livest, O king, there is a God. And the king said, Is God that great spirit that brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem? And Aaron said unto him, Yea, he is that great spirit, and he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believest thou this and he said, Yea, I believe that the great Spirit created all things, and I desire that ye should tell me concerning all those things, all these things, and I will believe thy words. And it came to pass that when Aaron saw that the that the king would believe his words, he began from the creation of Adam reading the scriptures. Aaron, and we would assume the other Nephite missionaries had copies of the Scriptures which were used for the teaching of the gospel. That's by Millet McConkey. Continuing verse twelve. Uh, Reading the scriptures unto the king, how how God created man after his own image, and that God gave him commandments, and that because of transgression, man had fallen. So here we've seen already the creation and the fall. And Aaron did expound unto him the scriptures from the creation of Adam, laying the fall of man before him, and their carnal state, and also the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world. The gospel of God the Father, known also as the gospel of Jesus Christ, was the plan of salvation taught and declared by the eternal Father in the premortal world. Um, Prepared from the foundation of the world through Christ for all whosoever should believe on his name. So now he's talking about the atonement, the creation, the fall, and the atonement all mentioned here. Verse 14, and since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself. We cannot save ourselves. We need the Savior. Herein is one of the great messages of all eternity, but one that unfortunately is little understood, even by many who are of the household of faith. We will not be saved in the highest heaven because we earn our way there. We will not be crowned with glory and eternal lives because we worked out our own salvation by ourselves. It is as heretical to believe that we are exalted by works as it is to teach that we are saved by grace alone. As important as our works are in evidencing our acceptance of and commitment to Christ the Lord, works such as receiving the ordinances of salvation, performing deeds of kindness and acts of Christian charity, and enduring faithfully to the end, our works will not and cannot save us. It is impossible for any human being to do enough good deeds in this mortal sphere to qualify for life in the celestial kingdom. No, ultimately we are saved not by our works, but by his works, the Lord's wherefore lehi said to his son jacob i know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy redeemer that is to say before the father the lord jesus intercedes for us on the basis of his works listen to him who is the advocate with the father the savior urges in a modern revelation who is pleading your cause before him saying father behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin in whom thou wast well pleased behold the blood of thy son which was shed the blood of him whom thou gavest that thyself might be glorified What an unusual defense, what an unnatural scene, what a glorious message. The mediator pleads our cause on the basis of his works, his atonement. What then is our role? Wherefore, well, Father, he continues, spare these, my brethren, that believe on my name, that they may come unto me and have everlasting life. Truly, there is a power in Christ, power not only to create the worlds and divide the seas, but also to still the storms of the human heart, to heal the pain of scarred and beaten souls. We must learn to trust in him more, and on man made solutions less. We must learn to surrender our burdens to him more. We must learn and work to our limits, and then be willing to seek that grace or enabling power which which will make up the difference, that sacred power, which indeed makes all the difference. And that, again, that was by Millet McConkey. Continuing verse 14. But the sufferings and death of Christ atone for their sins through faith and repentance, and so forth. And that he breaketh the bands of death, that the grave shall have no victory, and that the sting of death should be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. And Aaron did expound all these things unto the king. And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of, my heart, out of my breast, and receive his spirit that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. But Aaron said unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, Yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will bow down before God, and repent, and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. And it came to pass that when Aaron had said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees, yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth, and cried mightily, saying, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. For his life to be spared in chapter 18, he offers one half of his kingdom to Ammon. Now he is offering to give away all of his sins to know God. President Benson said, Each of us must surrender our sins if we are to to really know Christ. We do not know him until we become like him. There are some, like this king, who must pray until they too have a wicked spirit rooted from them so they can find the same joy. Elder Maxwell said, Speaking of the process of coming to know God, we also come to have sufficient faith unto repentance, thereby becoming willing to give away all our sins to know God. These may include activities and endeavors that distract and and deflect us. Getting used to giving away such onerous things is a necessary first step to prepare us for the giving that constitutes eventual consecration. Among some church members, there is, sad to say, a lack of real faith in the living God and in his plan of salvation. This includes the universal need for repentance. And remodeling, failure to pay a full tithing, failure to wear the holy temple garments, refusal to work meekly at making a marriage more successful, or helping a family to become happier, inordinate resentment of personal trials, trying to serve the Lord without offending the devil or the world, being willing to serve the Lord but only in an an advisory capacity. Failing to sustain the brethren, neglecting prayer, neglecting holy scriptures, neglecting parents, neglecting neighbors, neglecting sacrament meetings, neglecting temple attendance, and so on. Of such happiness-draining failures, the common cause at the testing point is the failure to endure it well. When we stop short, we interpret the the we interrupt the precious process of personal development. Many of us are kept from person. Many of us are kept from eventual consecration because we mistakenly think that somehow by letting our will be swallowed up in the will of God, we lose our individuality. What we are really worried about, of course, is giving up not self, but selfish things like our rules, our time, our preeminence, and our possessions. No wonder we are instructed by the Savior to lose ourselves. He is only asking us to lose the old self in order to find the new self. It is a question not of one's losing identity, but of finding one's true identity. The submission of one's will is placing on God's altar the only uniquely personal thing one has to place there. The many other things we give are actually the things he has already given or loaned to us. However, when we finally submit ourselves by letting our individual wills be swallowed up in God's will, we will really be giving something to him. It is the only possession which is truly ours to give. Consecration thus constitutes the only unconditional surrender, which is also a total victory. The almost valiant resemble the valiant, the, except, they, except that they show considerably less consecration and measurably more murmuring. They are less settled spiritually and are more di- detract, distracted by the world. They progress, but do not episodically rather, but do so episodically rather than steadily and pause on plateaus. Such is the perfect and fair price exacted of all who truly desire to know God. It is much more difficult an offering to make one of silver and gold. It is an affirmation of the eternal verity that no unclean thing can enter into his presence. It places the promise of eternal life in the reach of all. It excuses nothing and rewards all that has been right and good. That last part was by Millet McConkie. Continuing, um, Verse 18, and that I may be raised from the dead and be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said these words, he was struck as if he was dead. This is a similar experience to uh, King Lamoni. Verse 19, And it came to pass that his servants ran and told the queen all that had happened unto the king, and she came in unto the king, and when she saw him lay as if he were dead, and also Aaron and his brethren standing as though they had been the cause of his fall, she was angry with them and commanded that her servants or the servants of the king should take them and slay them. Now the servants had been, had seen the cause of the king's fall, therefore they durst not lay their hands on Aaron and his brethren, and they pled with the queen, saying, Why commandest thou that we should slay these men, when, behold, one of them is mightier than us all? Therefore we, should, we shall fall before them. Now when the queen saw the fear of the servants, she also began to fear exceedingly, lest there should some evil come upon her. And she commanded her servants that they should go and call the people that they might slay Aaron and his brethren. Now when Aaron saw the determination of the queen, he also, knowing the hardness of the hearts of the people, feared lest that a multitude should assemble themselves. This is kind of like what happened to Abish in the previous story. Assemble themselves together, and there should be a great contention and a disturbance among them. Therefore he put forth his hand and raised the king from the earth and said unto him, Stand. And he stood upon his feet, receiving his strength. Now this was done in the presence of the queen and many of the servants. And when they saw it, they greatly marveled and began to fear. And the king stood forth and began to minister unto them. And he did minister unto them insomuch that his whole household were converted unto the Lord. Now there was a multitude gathered together because of the commandment of the queen, and there began to be great murmurings among them because of Aaron and his brethren. But the king stood forth among them and ministered unto them, and they were pacified towards Aaron and those who were with him. And it came to pass that when the king saw that the people were pacified, he caused that Aaron and his brethren should stand forth in the midst of the multitude, and that they should preach the word unto them. And it came to pass that the king sent a proclamation throughout all the land amongst all his people who were in all his land, who were in all the regions round about, which were bordering even to the sea and on to sea. I'm sorry, even to the sea on the east and on the west and which was divided from the land of Zarahemla by a narrow strip of wilderness, which ran from the sea east even to the sea west and round about on the borders of the seashore and the borders of the wilderness, which was on the north by the land of Zarahemla through the borders of Manti by the head of the river Sidon running from the east towards the west. And thus were the Lamanites and the Nephites divided. Hope you got that. Did you have your map out while I was reading that? 28. Now the more idle part of the Lamanites lived in the wilderness and dwelt in tents, and they were spread through the wilderness on the west in the land of Nephi, yea, and also on the west of the land of Zarahemla, in the borders by the seashore, and on the west of, in the land of Nephi in the place of their father's first inheritance, and thus bordering along by the seashore. And also there were many Lamanites on the the east by the seashore, whither the Nephites had driven them. And thus the Nephites were nearly surrounded by the Lamanites. Nevertheless, the Nephites had taken possession of all the northern parts of the land bordering on the wilderness at at the head of the river Sidon, from the east to the west, round about on the wilderness side on the north, even until they came to the land which they called Bountiful. And it bordered upon the land which they called desolation, it being so far northward. That it came into the land which had been peopled and been destroyed, of whose bones we have spoken, which was discovered by the people of Zarahemla, it being the place of their first landing. In other words, that's where the Jaredite bones were found. And they came from there up into the south wilderness. Thus the land of the northward was called Desolation. And the land on the southward was called Bountiful. It being the wilderness which is filled with all manner of wild animals of every kind, a part of which had come from the land northward for food. And now it was only the distance of a day and a half's journey for a Nephite on the line Bountiful and the, and the land Desolation from the east to the west sea, and thus the land of Nephi and the land of Zarahemla were nearly surrounded by water, there being a small neck of land between the land uh, northward and the land southward. Now, in, in talking about the geography of the Book of Mormon, we have to keep in mind that even though we have a lot of descriptions here of north and south and seashores and so on, that when the the destruction happened among the Nephites uh, and the earthquakes that occurred at the at the crucifixion of Christ, that uh, the whole topography of the land changed, the whole geography of the land changed. So you can't uh, pinpoint anymore uh, any places that this may may have been, uh, because all of that would have been totally changed uh, from that earthquake and total total destruction that occurred. So uh, anyway. Uh, Things have changed since the since this was written by, uh, by Mormon uh, among the uh, Nephites. Verse 33, and it came to pass that the Nephites had inhabited the land bountiful, even from the east unto the west sea, and thus the Nephites in their wisdom, with their guards and their armies, had hemmed in the Lamanites on the south, that thereby they should have no more possession on the north, that they might not, not overrun the land northward. Therefore, the Lamanites could have no more possessions only in the land of Nephi and the wilderness round about. Now, this was wisdom in the Nephites, as the Lamanites were an enemy to them. They would not suffer their afflictions on every hand, and also they might have a country whither they might flee according to their desires. And now, after I having said this, return again to the account of Ammon and Aaron, Omner and Himni, and their brethren. That's what we'll cover in the next chapter. Uh, Verse, our president. Anthony Ivans said, there's a great deal of talk about the geography of the Book of Mormon where was the land of Zarahemla? Where was the city of Zarahemla and other geographic matters? It does not make any difference to us. There has never been anything yet set forth that definitely settles that question. So the church says we are just waiting until we discover the truth. All kinds of theories have been advanced. I have talked with at least half a dozen men that have found the very place where the city of Zarahemla stood. And notwithstanding the fact that they professed to be Book of Mormon students, they vary a thousand miles apart in the places they have located. We do not offer any definite solution as you study the Book of Mormon. Keep these things in mind and do not make definite statements concerning things that have not been proven in advance to be true. Harold B. Lee says, don't be concerned over Book of Mormon geography. Some say the Hill Cumorah was in southern Mexico and someone pushed it still down further and not in western New York. Well, if the Lord wanted us to know where it was or where Zarahemla was, he'd have given us latitude and longitude, don't you think? And why bother our heads trying to discover with archaeological certainty the geographical locations of the cities of the Book of Mormon, like Zarahemla? The witness of the Book of Mormon is not found in the ruins of Central and South America. They may be outward evidences of a people long since disappeared. The real witness is that which is found in the Book of Mormon itself. And I bear testimony that that's true, that we're not relying upon archaeological evidences to prove the Book of Mormon, but rather that the Spirit manifests its truth. And that I bear testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.